And a very good morning to you, wherever you happen to be. It might be evening. It might be the next day. When you hear this, I've no idea. It's the papers for Friday, November 3rd, 2023, Friday morning. And as always, I'll let you know the exact time I'm doing this because things change in the eternal sea. Things change. It's 8.55am as I start this recording. Let us look at the front pages of the UK daily newspapers then. The Daily Telegraph has a photograph of British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak sitting with Elon Musk, allegedly the world's richest man. The Tesla guy, the SpaceX guy and the Twitter guy. He's in tan. He's in the UK for this AI summit. So the headline on the Telegraph front page is Musk tells Sunak AI will end work. <coughs> Excuse me. And we'll come back to that. There is an exclusive interview in the Telegraph and a bit of it is featured on the front page too. Uh, Chippy Hotavelli, I think that's how you pronounce her name. She's the Israeli ambassador to the UK. Dreadful, horrible woman. In my opinion, only in my opinion, horrible. Harlot. Harpy. Harpy, that's the word. Chippy Hotavelli. London feels less safe for Jews than Israel, says Ambassador. Back off, love, I say. That's the front page of the Daily Telegraph. The Guardian. Top tech firms to let governments vet AI tools. Sunak tells Summit. Now, I don't believe this for a minute. The idea that tech firms will let governments vet their AI tools to keep us all safe. Not sure that's true. They might promise it. They might say, yeah, yeah, we'll let you look under the bonnet of what it is we're doing. But I would imagine they'll be very selective tech firms about what it is they allow governments look at. Also on the front page of The Guardian, Israel says its troops are inside Gaza City. The Times. AI means nobody will have to work, says Musk. Yes, we, we, we've had that already. Daily Express, don't ruin our nation's day of remembrance. Fears of disruption on Armistice Day. Armistice Day, I can't say it. Fears of disruption on Armistice Day by thousands of pro-Palestinian marchers have sparked calls for tighter security. Don't allow the pro-Palestinian supporters around the cenotaph on our nation's day of remembrance. That's the Daily Telegraph, yeah. Daily Mail says it has an exclusive front page. Shadow Tory number 10 fixer who had pet rabbit butchered in mafia-style warning to his ex-girlfriend. What? Shadowy Tory number 10 fixer who had pet rabbit butchered in mafia-style warning to his ex-girlfriend. That sounds more like fatal attraction style. Than mafia style. What the hell could that be? Well, the mail is previewing the upcoming explosive book by former MP Nadine Dorries, or Nadine Dorries, who also writes for the mail. And the mail says it contains the book A String of Revelations on Going Ons in Westminster. And there's some story in there about some number 10 guy who worked for number 10, who worked in Downing Street who had uh, a pet rabbit killed to warn an ex-girlfriend. Wow, that's the Daily Mail today. Financial Times interest rates held at 15-year high as Bank of England warns of stagnating economy. You probably heard quite a bit about this yesterday. 
the eye paper. Headline front page of mortgage pain. UK warned not to expect any interest rate cut before 2025. The Metro goes with the wrath of Kiron. Britain battered by 100 mile per hour storm. Kiron features in some of the papers today. The Sun goes with Jessie and the road rage killer. Jessie is Jessie Wallace. She's an actress who is in EastEnders. She attended an Elvis tribute night at a venue uh, at the same time as Kenny Noy, a notorious road rage killer. Don't ask me. The Daily Mirror goes with the Grin Reaper. The Grin Reaper. It photographs a pathetic-looking Matt Hancock with a goofy, shit-eating grin on his face. And this is all about the revelation coming out of the COVID inquiry is that he personally wanted to decide wanted to decide who lived or who died if the NHS couldn't cope. He's an obnoxious bastard, isn't he, Hancock? In every sense of the phrase. And the Daily Star uh, has a headline which reads, Free Woolly. Have you read about this? It's about a sheep named Woolly who has been trapped at the bottom of a cliff in Scotland for two years. And they can't rescue this sheep. It's all alone. And sheep, sheep are a herd animal. They need companionship. And this poor sheep, this poor... Uh, it's a female sheep, isn't it? Um, are they all female? <laughs> I had this on a farm years ago <laughs> about cows. It's a long story. I won't tell you anyway. But yeah, free Woolly. Um, the star is backing a campaign to, to try and find a way to save this poor sheep who's been stuck at the bottom of a cliff for two years. Yeah, God love it. Anyway, okay, let's look inside some of these papers then. It's the papers, the papers, with me, Richie Allen, your BBG. So the headline then on the Telegraph front page, Elon Musk tells Sunak AI will mean people no longer need to work. This was this interview or this joint appearance by Musk and Sunak, which apparently was streamed on Twitter. I didn't see it. Uh, Musk says AI will one day eradicate the need for jobs. He was interviewed by Sunak at the conclusion of the AI Safety Summit. He said, Musk, that technology would be able to do everything in the future and people would decide to have jobs only if they wanted to for personal satisfaction. Sunak disagreed with him, saying he believed he believed that work gives you meaning. <laughs> yeah. What would he know about work, right? Musk also asked for, uh, called for tax rewards for tech entrepreneurs in Britain to encourage them to start innovative new companies. He said robots in the future would be so advanced that they would end up being people's friends, but he warned there would need to be a physical off switch in case the robots went bad. If the robots go postal, if they go absolutely apeshit and decide, well, we don't have any need for these greasy pink creatures, these sweaty shitheads, let's get rid of them. Maybe we might need to do that to save the planet. So we'll have an off, an off switch, says Musk. Let's have an off switch, right? Musk said AI would be the most disruptive force in history for jobs. Jobs are going to come to an end. AI. Okay. What else did he say about it? He said that we will be in an age of abundance. We won't be on universal basic income, he said, interestingly. We will be on universal high income. I don't believe him, do you, dear listener? I don't believe him. He says, AI can do everything. I don't know if it makes people comfortable or uncomfortable. It's good and bad. Our challenge will be, humanity is, how do we find meaning in life? 
I don't know, get some land, grow some vegetables, farm some animals, have some fun, have a lot of sex maybe. I don't know. Go back to the 1800s, start having bigger families. I don't know. The Times. This is The Times. Insight. Headline. Grave risk of genocide as UN calls for ceasefire. Grave risk of genocide? It's genocide, right? According to The Times, Israel's war against Gaza has continued for a 28th day with army troops surrounding Gaza City and said to be fighting face-to-face battles with terrorists there. However, as reports of continuing airstrikes on densely populated areas and huge numbers of civilian casualties mount, a group of UN human rights experts said Palestines were at grave risk of genocide. When does it become a genocide? It's nearly 10,000 people now, including 4,000 kids. At what point do you say genocide? 11,000? 12,000? Anyway, it's a strongly worded statement signed by seven UN special rapporteurs. Uh, they say time is running out for Palestinians and demand uh, they demanded a humanitarian ceasefire to ensure that aid reaches the people who need it the most. Anthony Blinken, uh, the US Secretary of State, about an hour before I began making this podcast, stepped off the plane in Israel Meeting with the Israeli administration, he is expected to call for a pause in the fighting, which Benjamin Netanyahu has thus far rejected. Now, it's three minutes past nine here. When I say this to you in the UK, there may be some developments in this particular story later on, and then my reading the story will be a little bit out of date. Anyway, on (coughs) Israel-Palestine, excuse me, I'm a little bit bunged up this morning, you'll forgive me for that. On Israel-Palestine, here's a headline in The Guardian. Failed to be a critical friend, UK accused of taking eye off Israel-Palestine crisis. It's an interesting one, right? Concerns that the UK Foreign Office has neglected the Israel-Palestine conflict in its tilt to the Indo-Pacific and the pursuit of trade deals across the Middle East is to be investigated by the Foreign Affairs Select Committee. Now, this is a committee headed up by Alicia Kearns. It's going to be hearing evidence on this issue in November. She's one of the most prominent MPs warning, or she was back in the summer, warning that a crisis was brewing in the Middle East that required greater attention and a more robust approach from the UK towards Israel's new government. Right? She was saying way back after the attack on the refugee camp in Jenin, she was saying we've taken a roy off the ball here regarding Israel and what's going on there. And she also said, and this won't go down well at all, she said, do we think we have the right posture towards Israel? I, for my part, feel that we have failed to be a critical friend. We have a very close and important security friendship, but we have yet to adopt that critical one, saying she found the agenda of Netanyahu's government concerning. Isn't that interesting? That's in The Guardian today. Let's stay with The Guardian for a moment. Another story, headline reads, Most British people hold positive view of immigration survey reveals. Is that right? I'll read you the story. A majority of the British public now hold positive views about the impact of immigration on the UK, despite intense political rhetoric surrounding the issue, according to an academic survey. Now, the European Social Survey, which has sampled attitudes every two years since 2001, said British views on immigration 
and its economic and cultural impact had undergone, quote, a complete about turn, end quote, over the past two decades, becoming significantly more favourable after 2016. What happened in 2016? Well, the UK voted to leave the European Union, which it never really did. Anyway, the survey asked people to rank out of 10 whether immigration was bad or good for the economy, whether cultural life was undermined or enriched, and whether it made the country a better or worse place to live, with 10 being the most positive. Now, the latest poll for 2022 shows for the first time a majority of respondents thought immigration was very positive for the UK economy. 59% gave a ranking between 7 and 10. Uh, Enriched the country's cultural life, 58% yes, and made the country a better place to live, 56% agreed with that. In 2002, only 17% were positive about the economic benefits, 33% thought it was culturally enriching, and only 20% thought that immigration made the UK a better place to live. Do you believe this? I mean, if, if the survey was conducted, if, if it was a scientific survey, and if it was honestly, um, if it was an honest endeavour, okay, if it wasn't in any way tampered with, it's an interesting result, isn't it? That in spite of everything, people think immigration is not the worst thing in the world. Um, and, and, and a story somewhat related to that, somewhat, in The Telegraph. Here's the headline. Demand for doctors and nurses doubles as, wait for it, ill health grips Britain. I wonder why ill health is gripping Britain dear listener. Demand for doctors and nurses doubles as ill health grips Britain. Uh, with winter approaching, the Recruitment and Employment Confederation said the number of health jobs advertised in September was up by at least 100% across several health and medical roles compared to February 2020. As there were more than 61,000 job postings for nurses, at least 16,000 for doctors, and around 81,000 job postings for care workers and home carers, according to the organisation's data. As the number of job ads for medical and dental technicians was up by 129%, with those for midwives up by roughly the same. Demand for pharmacy and other dispensing assistants jumped 195%, while calls for nursing auxiliaries and nursing auxiliaries and assistants rose 92%. The shortage of healthcare workers not only makes it um, harder for people to find healthcare and then get timely treatment, some of our problems with high economic inactivity rate is because many people are unable to join, rejoin the workforce while they are on NHS waiting lists. And that uh, comment came from uh, an NHS insider. The UK is one of the only advanced economies where employment rates are yet to recover to their pre-pandemic levels. And they're talking about how the country has never been sicker and that this is a huge problem going into this winter. The jabs, the jabs, the jabs, the jabs, the jabs. But nobody will say the jabs. You know, it couldn't be the jabs, could it? Could the jabs be playing some part in the terrible rates of poor health in the UK right now? Maybe. Maybe. There are other factors, of course there are, but maybe. And Ella Whelan, writing in today's Telegraph headline, Britain is itching to get back into lockdown. She writes, while politicians and their staff squirm in front of the COVID inquiry, 
you'd be forgiven for thinking that the lockdowns were a thing of the past. In fact, we seem to be trapped in a perpetual pandemic present, unwilling or unable to return to the old normal. Challenges and difficulties in public life, from flu season to dodgy concrete in schools, is caused to close down institutions and our doors. We've become too comfortable with shutting out and shutting down the problems we face, rather than dealing with them. I won't read too much more of it. It's a very well-written piece about how she fears that the people of this country would be all too quick to embrace a, lo a lockdown in the near future, whether it was to do with a pandemic or, or some other reason. She says it's not good, this mentality. It's a good piece. Ella Whelan, who often writes for Spiked Online. Let's have a look at the Times this Friday morning. Inside the Times again, we're, 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 we're trip-hopping. We're trip-hopping around the papers. Here's a headline, which is rather disgusting. Disgusting, even. Australian city drives homeless people away with hot potato children's song. The story reads, It has delighted generations of children, but now the Wiggles' best-known song, Hot Potato, is being used by an Australian city to drive homeless people off the street. The music, it drives us nuts. We're getting sick of it, said Leslie Riley, one of scores of people in the city of Bunbury, Western Australia, um, which is trying to discourage people from sleeping rough. For days, the music was going around and around in my head, Riley told the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Of the song, written in 1994, by the Sydney band, which has become a hit with children around the world. They're playing it on a loop at the city's Memorial Music Stadium in what the council admits freely is an effort to drive away the homeless, many of whom are Aboriginal people. The mayor of Bunbury, Jason McGuell, claimed the tactic was an established way of discouraging people to congregate permanently in an area and to deter antisocial behaviour. Isn't it incredible how creative they become when it comes to something as disgusting as just driving people away, rough sleepers, people down on their look at their lowest ebb in life, very creative with moving them on and brushing them under the carpet, but they can't apply the same creativity skills to trying to help these people and get them back on their feet and give them something to embrace and to, to live for. No. No, let's um, treat them like scum and start using what is effectively a kind of a warfare tactic, isn't it? Isn't it? Torture people so that they'll piss off somewhere else. Disgusting. And the Independent, we haven't done the Independent, I don't think, in this new podcast uh, so far. But here's an interesting one. You might find this interesting. Politicians are using culture war as distracting tactic, uh, poll finds. What do you reckon to that? Politicians are using culture war as distraction tactic, poll finds. Now, more than half of the British public feel politicians are using culture wars to distract from other important issues, according to a survey which also found the term woke is increasingly seen as an insult. Almost two-thirds, 62%, of the 3,700 people polled said politicians invent or exaggerate culture wars as a political tactic 
up from 44% three years ago, the research suggested. Just one in ten people felt politicians who talk about divisions over cultural issues genuinely believe it is an important topic, with 56% feeling they are just trying to distract people from other important topics. The research carried out by King's College London and Ipsos UK found that ahead of a general election, the top issues people said would determine their vote include cost of living, inflation, NHS and social care. So that's a really interesting article because both sides of that argument have merit. Undoubtedly, politicians, and you can, you can, you can picture them, the likes of Lee Anderson, the deputy chairman of the Conservative Party, isn't he, Lee Anderson? There are others, right, on all sides of the political divide in, in the UK, who definitely love to talk about the culture wars and love to opine on things, to wind people up, you know, things ab- about uh, critical race theory, um, gender politics, all that sort of thing. So, of course, and we know that television stations like GB News basically earn a living from stoking the culture wars and using ter- terminology such as this is politically correctness gone mad, which they say about a, f- a thousand times a day on these, on, these, um, on these platforms, no doubt about that. But of course, the other side of that is that things are happening which deeply affect people. Like, you know, we, we, we often talk about allowing men to identify as women. That's a very serious issue, and it has very serious consequences for real women. So both can be true. They do use these things to distract from very serious issues like wars, like cost of living and all the rest of it. But the issues that they are distracting people with are themselves serious issues and have an impact on people um, up and down the country. No doubt about that. So interesting poll is that half the British public or more feel politicians use culture wars to distract from other important ones. Yeah. That is it for the papers today, Friday, November 3rd, 2023. Thanks for listening to the podcast this week. I'm enjoying doing it. It's quite fun, actually. Um, I, I do have to mention again, it, it, it has nothing to do with and it won't impact at all on the live Richie Allen radio show Monday to Thursday at 5 o'clock UK time. The next time you can hear me, if you choose to hear me, it'll be Sunday morning at 10 o'clock UK time. I'll be back in studio with Sunday Morning Melodies, which, as you know or might not know, is a music programme with uh, old school, old time um, music of yesteryear with some stories and a little bit of chat as well. Sunday Morning Melodies this Sunday at 10am UK time. All that's left for me to do this Friday as it approaches 18 minutes past nine here in Salford, is to wish you and yours a fantastic weekend. Thanks for being with me this week, and thanks as always for your support. Speak real soon. Excellent.